Good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John today. John chapter 2, starting in verse 23 today. John 2, verse 23. And as you're turning there, just a little report on the youth trip that we had down in Florida. Uh, man, it's hot down there. Um, about, we came back to about a 30-degree differential. And uh, some of the heat indexes uh, were upwards of 105, 108. Um, and uh, you'll notice I don't have a tan, because I don't tan, I scorch. I don't know what you do, but I try to stay out of that stuff as much as I could. But uh, my goodness, uh, the damage uh, from Hurricane Ian last fall is pretty substantial. And... Uh, I mean, there's one pile of just boats from all the wrecked boats from the storm down there. Uh, saw a lot of tarps on a lot of roofs. Uh, our team was actually working with a, in a trailer home park uh, that was mostly Hispanic uh, in nature, and uh, many of the trailers were just gone, and that, those that were left were in uh, quite a bit of disrepair. Our team was able to paint two trailers, put in a hot water heater, put some uh, lattice work uh, in terms of the surround around the, the bottoms of the, uh, the units. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad and very hot. Can you imagine painting? Your, your paint's drying within 30 seconds after you put it on. Uh, it's just so hot. And then we started the VBS program on Wednesday, and it's my understanding Thursday night, five kids came to Christ, which was really cool. Uh, so you're going to get a full report from the students and from Pastor Nick when uh, they get back. Um, I think it's the last Sunday of July is when that report will be done. So I'm sure you'll see some videos and pictures of all that went on down there. Um, there's so much need down there, we could easily go again, and I think we likely will. So anyway, pray for them as they're heading back uh, this afternoon. So we're in chapter 2, starting in verse 23, as we continue a journey through the Gospel of John, and we hear more about the life of Christ. In verse 23, we read, Now when he was in Jerusalem, that is Jesus, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all men, he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can these things be? 
Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, when I met him about 18 years ago, he had just broken up with his girlfriend. He'd been wrestling with drug and alcohol use, and not long before that, he had even gotten in trouble with the law. But a friend from work had invited him to church, so he came And then he disappeared for a few weeks, but then he came to church again with his friend. This time after the service, he asked if he could meet with me, and I said, absolutely. That week, we met at the Mancino's on Shaver Road, and we both had a great time just hanging out. During our lunch, he mentioned he was interested in our worship music, and that he could play drums, and that he could sing. So after our lunch, I invited him back to the church and let him play the drums a little bit. But then I played a few songs on the piano to see if he could sing, and man, could he sing. I invited him to come to our worship rehearsal on Saturday night so he could meet our worship director, Bill, and that if he wanted to, he could sing with our worship team this coming Sunday. But quite frankly, at this point, I didn't even know if he knew who Jesus was, let alone if he had even been born again. But the one thing I did know was that God loved this young man, And as we'll see in our study today, Jesus knows what you're all about. The question is, have you been born again? Having been born from above, having been born spiritually, having been born by the power of God, have you received Jesus' testimony about who he is? He is the promised Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the promised Redeemer. He is the King of Kings. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? understanding his word spiritually, looking to him for eternal life, receiving all the love that he has for you, believing only in him for your salvation. For God so loved the world. Our message series is that you may believe the gospel of John. Today's message, for God so loved the world, our author, John, perhaps the very best friend of Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry, shares his purpose in writing this book in John 20, verse 31. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Today I have one spiritual truth for you and three questions for your consideration. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? 
Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word, and we ask, Lord, that you would do a work among us through the power of your spirit as we look into your word, your truth. Oh God, we long to hear from you today, not from this speaker, but from you and you alone. And Lord, we ask that you would be our guide, that you'd be our teacher, that you'd open these truths to us, that we might not just hear them, but we might actually walk in them in a real way. So Lord, thank you. We praise you for all that you revealed to us about yourself in this passage. We pray this in your son's wonderful name. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined with you from the program that you received on your way in the door, here's the first truth. Jesus knows what you're all about. I don't know, maybe you think you can hide some things from him or not. I don't know, but he knows what you're all about. Notice what it said in verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, remember he had been up in the region of Galilee, but now he's in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. Greg, it's a little hot. If I get excited about something, I'm going to hurt somebody. Thanks, buddy. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, watch this, did not entrust himself to them. Why? Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. See, he knows all about us. He knows all about me. He knows all about you. You'll recall as Samuel was seeking to anoint a king for, from Jesse's house, the Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He knew all people. He himself knew what was in man. We ask, well, what does God know about us? What does he know about our hearts? Well, from Jeremiah 17, we learn what he knows. He knows that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. This is what he knows. He knows that we're fickle. He knows that we're rebellious. He knows that we're sinful. Hebrews 4.13 goes on to say, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Jesus knows what you're all about. Don't think for a moment you can pull one over on him, or hide something from him. He knows it all. Case in point, Nicodemus here in our text. Jesus knew what Nicodemus was all about, which leads us to our first question of three. First question is, have you been born again? Have you been born again, having been born from above? In verse 1, We read, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, a Pharisee. The Pharisees, of course, the Jewish religious and political sect which was very committed to the instruction and practice of Jewish law and customs. And all for all practical purposes, you could say this man was a lawyer. It also says he was a ruler of the Jews. Perhaps Nicodemus was a part of the Sanhedrin council, which was given oversight to the nation of Israel as a whole. 
So Nicodemus is kind of a big deal here. He's not just Joe Schmo off the street. He's a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. And he mentioned, man, you must be from God because we've seen all these cool signs that you do. And we go, well, what signs is he talking about? Two things in particular that we read in chapter 2, where he turned the water into wine. That only a few people knew about, but apparently it's getting out what he did. People are talking about it. And then most recently, he cleaned out the temple, which we talked about a few weeks ago. And of course, we saw in verse 23, there apparently are other things that he was doing. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. He was doing other amazing things. But God must be with you. Nicodemus clearly saw that there was something special about this Jesus. Jesus responds. It's interesting, after being kind of accoladed, wow, you're just awesome, Jesus. Notice Jesus doesn't really respond to that. He goes right to the heart of the issue. He says, truly, truly. First time we're going to see this in the text. Truly, truly. Chamein, chamein. Amen, amen. So be it, so be it. This is the way it is, Nick. This is the way it is. Deal with it, deal with it. Okay? You got it? Truly, truly. Verily, verily. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In the Greek, genethe, anothen. Genethe, anothen. Literally, you need to be born from above, Nick. Have you been born from above? Have you been born again? We read throughout Scripture, John 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. All of us need to be born of God, born from above. 1 John 5.1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you too have been born from above. You've been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Beloved, we need to be born again. We need to be born from above. But secondly here, we have to be born spiritually. We need to be born again, having been born spiritually. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? By the way, can he? No, can't happen. (laughs) Nicodemus is really wrestling here. I'm not sure what you're talking about, Jesus. This doesn't make any sense. What do you mean be born again? Jesus answers again. Amen, amen, truly, truly. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you go, what's Nicodemus' problem here? Well, he's really confused between the spiritual and the physical, right? Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, you can't be born again. You've got to be born of the water and the Spirit. Now, usually when we read this, we go, oh, I know what Jesus is talking about. What do people say he's talking about? To be born of the water. What? Baptism. This has nothing to do with baptism. Sorry. <laughs> has nothing to do with baptism. Just doesn't. How do I know that? Read the next verse. <laughs> the next verse, verse 6 says, That which is born of flesh is flesh, Nick, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's the, that's the deal. You need to be born of water. You need to be born physically. Yeah, we got that part. I go, really? That's, what do you mean born of water physically? 
Okay, so, so when the baby comes, what happens? Water breaks. Okay, all the ladies are like, yeah, okay, I get it. The water breaks, and boom, there's baby, right? That's how that works. You got to be born of water. You need to be born physically, but that's not the issue, Nick. You need to be born spiritually. You need to be born spiritually, born from above. This isn't complicated, Nicodemus. You've already been born physically. You now need to be born spiritually. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. We need to be born again, having been born spiritually. But thirdly, you're having been born by the power of God. How so? Look at this, verse 7. Jesus, you can just imagine at this moment as Jesus is talking, you know, Nick's jaw is opened up. He's like, what are you talking about? Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Don't be freaking out, Nicodemus. I got this. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the spirits. So don't be amazed. Now, how many of you have any, how many of you ever had any say on how you were born physically? Did anybody have any say in how you were born physically? Anybody? You know, to, to who your parents would be, what, what country you'd be born in. No, you had no say. And do we argue with God about that? Hey. No, we don't. We just go, oh, that's just the way it is. That's how I was born. I was born physically in some place in the world with some family. That's, that's what happened. We don't, take, we don't have any problems with that. But it seems here, from what we understand from this passage, it seems apparent that you... And I had no more say in our spiritual birth than we had in our, in our physical birth. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. You have to be born of the power of God. God has to do the work. Have been born by the very power of God as the wind blows. 1 Peter 1.3 says this. Here's Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He caused us to be born again. That's what it says. He caused it. Did you cause yourself being born physically? No, you're probably not going to cause yourself being born spiritually either. That's what it just said here. He has caused us to be born again. I'm just going to go with that. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, having been born by the power of God. James 1.18, of his own will he brought us forth, it says. Are you hearing that? Of his own will, by God's own will, he brought you forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. One theologian put it this way, Jesus asserted that the entrance into the kingdom of God that Nicodemus desired cannot be achieved by legalism or outward conformity. In other words, it's not about following the rules. It requires an inner change, an inner inside change that God has to manifest. Membership in the kingdom of God is not a prerogative of any particular race or culture, nor is it hereditary. Well, my parents were Christians, so so am I. Nuh-uh, maybe not. It's given only by the direct act of God. God's power. 
The origin and the destination of the wind are unknown to the one who feels it and acknowledges its reality. Just so the new life of one born of the Spirit is unexplainable by ordinary reasoning and its outcome is unpredictable. In other words, we don't know who's going to come to Christ or who isn't, though its actuality is undeniable. In other words, for those who are in Christ, you know the change that's been effected in you. Perhaps you've seen the change that's been affected in others. Sadly, we are just prideful and arrogant enough to take personal credit for what Christ has accomplished in our lives in granting a spiritual birth by his sheer grace and by his power. Have you been born again? Having been born from above, having been born spiritually, having been born by the very power of God? But question number two Have you received Jesus' testimony about who he is? Look at verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can these things be? (laughs) Now Jesus is a little incredulous here, verse 10. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Come on, man. Truly, truly, I say to you. There it is again. Amen, amen, I say to you. Nicodemus, this is the way it is, pal. I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Have you? Have you received the testimony of Christ? Beloved, we need to receive all that he has for us here. You need to receive what I'm saying to you, Nicodemus, Isaiah 53.1, who has believed what, is, what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Again, who's going to believe this? Have you? John 1.11 said he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came to the Jews. They didn't receive Jesus. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What testimony are we to receive about him? Well, first of all, that he is the coming Messiah. In Genesis 3.15, we were promised that a redeemer would come, right? God said to the serpent, as he's dealing with the sin of Adam and Eve and the rebellion of the serpent, I will put enmity, I'm going to put a conflict between you and the woman, between you, O evil one, and this woman here, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Lucifer, you're going to hurt this promised redeemer a little bit, but he's going to destroy you. That was the promise. And the promise was fulfilled in the New Testament. The Old Testament says, here he comes. New Testament says, here he is. We're told Matthew 121, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He is the coming Messiah. But secondly, he is the son of God. Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He's the son. He's the God-man. He's the son of God. John 9, 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? That is, do you believe in the son of God? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you as he speaks to the man who he had healed, who had been born blind. He's the son of God. He is the coming Messiah. He is, thirdly, the promised redeemer. In Job 
1925, Job proclaims in all of his agony, with all that he's hurting, he goes, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. In Colossians 1.13, we learn this Redeemer, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you are in Christ, you've been redeemed Why? Because he is the promised redeemer. He is the son of God. He is the coming Messiah. This is the testimony about the one who came to save us. And ultimately here, he is the king of kings. Genesis 49.10, we're told that the scepter, the scepter of power shall not depart from Judah. Jesus is born in the line of Judah, a descendant of Jesse and David and Solomon nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. We see the fulfillment of that in John 18, 37. Then Pilate, right before Jesus goes to the cross, Pilate says to him, so you're a king? Jesus answers, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Yeah, I'm the king, all right. Bear witness to the truth. Pilate, right before Jesus goes to the cross, Pilate says to him, so you're a king? Jesus answers, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Yeah, I'm the king, all right. Bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He is the coming Messiah. He is the Son of God. He's the promised Redeemer. He's the King of Kings. Have you received that testimony? Do you take Jesus at his word here? Do you take the scriptures and the Old Testament and the New Testament fulfillment of all that Jesus is? But now the third and last question. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Well, to do this, we need to make sure that we appraise his words spiritually. Nicodemus is having a hard time understanding this. He's not quite understanding Jesus' words spiritually. Jesus acknowledges this in verse 12. You know, Nick, if I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? How are you going to understand spiritual things here, buddy? It seems as though Jesus is almost pleading with Nicodemus here. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things, Nick? Are you paying attention? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.12, this won't be on the screen, but listen close. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You mean I can actually understand these things? Yes, by his grace. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You see, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. In other words, if you're sitting here and this is just a bunch of hooey to you, then you've got harder questions to ask as to whether or not you're in Christ. Because if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit would be speaking to you saying, oh, this matters. This is important. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but is is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. When we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit as a gift implanted in our very soul. 
And now, literally, we have the mind of Christ. We have access to truth. So that when we read God's word, it resonates with us. We go, I get it. I understand it. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who've come to faith in Christ as adults. And they would say things like this. I I read the Bible in the past. I didn't understand it. It didn't make any sense. But now when I read it, I understand it. Well, what's happened? There's been a spiritual transformation to be able to receive the things of God, to understand it, to be able to spiritually appraise them, appraising his word spiritually. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus, having appraised his word spiritually, but secondly, looking only to him for eternal life? Maybe you're trying to save your own life, trying to keep yourself out of hot water and your own merits. Well, you know, if the good outweighs the bad, I should be okay. Yeah, well, good luck with that. I don't know about you, but I can't be good enough long enough to make that work for me. I need someone who's always been good, who's never failed, who's never sinned. I need a redeemer who's completely perfect and righteous. That's Christ. We need to be looking only to him for eternal life. Notice what it says in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. You can imagine Jesus as he's speaking these things to Nicodemus. He'd say, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's me. I've done that. And then he gives an Old Testament illustration to a Pharisee, a student of the law. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And you go, well, what's that about? Well, you have to go back to Numbers 21, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 21 to read that account. But here's a brief synopsis. Once again, the the Jews, as they're wandering in the wilderness, are crabbing about things. Things aren't going very well, and they're crabbing and grumbling against Moses and against God. And so God says, okay, let's just send some serpents in here, these fiery serpents to show up, and they'll just start killing people, and that we won't have so many complainers. We'll just thin the herd out a little bit. And so they cry out, oh, this is horrible. Take these, things, take these serpents away from us. And Moses cries out to God, hey, could I could use some help here? And God says, okay, here's the solution. I want you to take a bronze serpent, and I want you to put it on a stick, and I want you to hold it up, and anybody who looks to that bronze serpent, they'll be spared. And now Jesus says this remarkable thing. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Just as the Jews of old look to the fiery serpent on a pole, we also need to look to Christ who is lifted up on the cross on our behalf, looking only to him for eternal life. And by the way, that's a really good lesson on why you shouldn't grumble so much. You don't want, we don't want fiery serpents around here. Thirdly, We need to believe in him receiving all the love that he has for you. And now we come to the most famous verse in all the Bible. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The most famous verse in all the world. But for some of us as we read this we wrestle a little bit sometimes. We're not all that sure that he really loves us. 
you know, two possibilities. I mean, we, we've got God's sovereignty and we've got his love. You know, either he's all powerful or he has no power at all or he's all loving or he's not loving. And some might say, well, I know he's all powerful, he's God, but I don't think he loves me. Or they'll say, well, I know he's all loving, but I don't think he has any power to do anything about it. In reality, he's both. He's all powerful. He is our sovereign God, and he loves you. He loves you so very much. We need to get a clue on this. Read a brief statement from one of my favorite books, uh, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. In the introduction to chapter 6 in this very, very powerful book. This is what Ken Sandy writes. God's grace as revealed in the gospel of Christ is the driving force behind peacemaking, he says. And now he quotes, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He then says, this incredible news reveals our radical sinfulness. Nothing could save us except the death of God's only son. But it also reveals the depths of God's radical love and mercy. He gave his son to die for us. As we reflect on and rejoice in the gospel of Christ, two things happen. Our pride and defensiveness are stripped away and we can let go of our illusion of self-righteousness, honestly examine ourselves and find freedom from guilt and sin by admitting our wrongs. At the same time, the gospel shows us how important reconciliation is to God which inspires us to do everything we can to repair any harm we've caused to others and to be reconciled to those we have offended. We're talking about God's outrageous love for us that none of us in this room deserve, but yet he freely pours out in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ as he lays down his life for us that we might live. This is how much God loves you. He sent his only son to die on the cross for you. Such love such sacrifice, such death. Have you received the love that he has for you? Do you understand how much he loves you? Some have said this, that even if you're the only person on the planet in your sinfulness, God would have still sent Jesus for you. Lastly here, and don't miss this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Those are the incredible promises to those who believe. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. It's very easy to read verse 16 and go, yeah, that's awesome. And you don't read the rest of it because there's more here. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, what I want to show you here is some compare and contrast principles here that are incredible. 
There's really two options here for everybody in this room. Either you believe or you don't believe. Either you believe in Christ or you don't believe. But we're told through these these verses from verse 16 to 21, if you believe, what? You shall not perish, right? So by implication, unbelief, you're going to perish. It's over. For those who believe, there's eternal life. By implication, those who don't believe, no eternal life. Am I going too fast? Verse 17, those who are in Christ believing are saved. Therefore, if you don't believe, you're lost. That's all there is to it. Verse 18, if you're in Christ, you believe, you're not judged. The unbeliever, you're judged already. Watch this one, verse 19. Those who believe, they love the light. By implication, those who don't believe, they love the darkness. Verse 19, for those who believe, they practice righteousness. Those who are unbelieving, they practice rebellion through their evil deeds. In verse 20, it's clear that those who believe hate the darkness, and by implication, the unbelieving must hate the light. Verse 20 and 21, for those who believe, righteousness is displayed, and for the unbelieving, unrighteousness is exposed. And don't miss this, for those who believe, live in peace, and the other live in fear. I just ask you, which side are you on here? This isn't complicated. If you don't believe, you're going to perish. There's no eternal life for you. You're lost. You've been judged. You know, the gavel's come down. You're out of here. You must love the darkness. You're practicing rebellion. You hate the light. Your unrighteousness is going to be exposed, and you're going to just have to live in fear because you have no other options. But for those who are in Christ, you will not perish. You have eternal life. You're saved. No judgment. You love the light, practicing righteousness, hating the darkness. Your righteousness is displayed, living at peace. And so you have righteousness on this hand, and you have darkness over here, right? And it's kind of a big pendulum. And if you love the light, you hate the dark. But if you start accommodating the darkness, you start loving the dark. Careful, you want to stay this way. With what God's doing in your world, in your heart, in your life. Incredible teaching from Jesus. And I ask you, where are you this morning? Which side are you on this? These things have been written so that you might believe. For God so loved the world. Now, have any of you caught Jesus' incredibly poignant point that he's making to Nicodemus? Anybody catch it? For everyone who does wicked, verse 20, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light, Nick, lest his work should be exposed, Nick. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, Nick so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God, Nicodemus. When did Nicodemus first come to Jesus here? 
When did he come? At night. Oh. Hey, Nick, you're kind of sneaking around here coming to see me, hoping none of the other, you know, Pharisees and Sadducees and the other, you know, Sanhedrin members would find out you're sneaking around to come see me. You understand, you're, you're going to be exposed as to where you stand. Are you going to come to the light here so everybody knows what side you're on here, pal? It's pretty poignant. Keeps pushing light, light, light. It's pretty dark out there right now, Nick. Where are you, buddy? And we ask the question, well, how did Nicodemus end up? Were his deeds finally exposed? Turns out after Jesus was crucified, Nicodemus indeed did show up. Who'd he show up with? He showed up with Joseph of Arimathea and asked and requested the body of Christ to bury it. And he did this in broad daylight. How do we know that? Because the body had to be dealt with before sunset because it was a day of preparation. <laughs> broad daylight. Steve's being exposed. I'm with Jesus. It's amazing. So my friend I invited to join our worship team showed up for rehearsal, and then again that Sunday he showed up again to join our worship team. As he was waiting for the service to start, he realized that he had a problem. What was his problem? He realized that he was going to be singing songs about Jesus that he didn't even believe in. (laughs) But as he explained... As he went up on the platform to help lead our congregation of worship, he went up not believing, he says. But then when he stepped off the platform, he stepped off believing. He had been born again. He had been born from above. You see, you never know how the wind is going to blow. My friend's name is Joe. Maybe you have heard of Joe. Maybe you've seen Joe. Joe's spoken here before. Joe Bragg. He's now one of the area directors for Youth for Christ in the greater Kalamazoo area. And he's now a missionary that our church supports. Isn't that amazing what God could do? You see, Jesus knows what you're all about. But have you been born again? Having been born from above, having been born spiritually, having been born by the power of God, have you received Jesus' testimony about who he is? He is the promised Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the promised Redeemer. He's the King of kings. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus, understanding his words spiritually, looking to him for eternal life, receiving all the love that he has for you, believing only in him for your salvation? Have you answered those questions? Would you please stand as we close our service? Heavenly Father, only you know the hearts before me and where everyone stands. And Lord, it's my hope and prayer that everybody in this room is believing, believing in Christ. But Lord, it's possible, it's very possible, even right now, there's someone here who's never taken that step of faith. Maybe they've walked in this room not believing. 
But Lord, it's my prayer that as they walk out of this room, they would believe. That they would receive you through faith. That they would accept the testimony of all the Bible about who you are and what you've done for us. That they simply believe in your name. If that's where you are right now, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray along with me. Simply this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I've been going the wrong direction in my life. I want to turn to you in faith believing only on your name for salvation. I receive your testimony. I accept you as my God and King. And I'll give my life to you, to follow you, to trust you, knowing that you will help me through all my days, no matter what. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, that I've got a, a future with you forever. Life eternal and even now, access to an abundant life right here, right now. If you invited Christ to be your Savior with eyes closed and heads bowed. If you invited Christ to be your Savior, you want to be a believer and acknowledged as a believer, would you just slip up your hand so I can pray for you today? If you've received Christ today, first time. Just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you if you've received Jesus as your Savior. Invite him to be your Lord and Savior once and for all. Nailed it down. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word and how powerful it is. For those in this room who profess to be believers, Lord, we just ask that you would um, embolden our hearts, embolden our lives, that we might be filled with your truth to such a degree that it would fly out of us and pour out of us into the lives of others, in our families, in our homes, in our work, in our schools, wherever we find ourselves, in, in the marketplace. Oh, God, even if this church may love gush out of us, care for others, compassion, based on the compassion we've received. And so, Lord, we praise you for our salvation, knowing full well that it's precisely all that you've done, and we've done nothing but believe. Thank you, Lord. Now may we go from this place with the truth of the gospel in our hearts, demonstrating the light of Christ, that our deeds might be exposed as we walk obediently with you. Thank you, Lord, for this passage from 